Hello everyone and welcome to Millennial Learns. My name is Abby Rancor. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode of the podcast. It is a Thursday episode, which means we're going over a state. We've been going over all the states in the order that they join the union. So we're on the ninth state now, which is New Hampshire. New Hampshire has a very interesting state history. I continue to learn about these states that I just didn't know almost anything about before. So um, very interesting stuff. I actually have driven through New Hampshire. We did like a Boston to Maine East Coast road trip a few years back. And so the only thing I really actually stopped and saw in New Hampshire was we stopped at this great lunch place right on the ocean and it was beautiful. The coast is beautiful. So I am a fan of New Hampshire, even though I didn't know that much about it, but we are going to dive into the history, the state symbols, famous people from there, all of that. So I hope you enjoy this episode. So first, let's just have a little bit of context for New Hampshire, where it is and all of that. So the capital of New Hampshire is Concord, which if you had asked me that before, I would not have known. So Concord, New Hampshire is the capital. It became a state on June 1st, 1788. It is the ninth state to join the union. It is named after the English county of Hampshire. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, they just called it New Hampshire because it reminded them of Hampshire. The state motto is live free or die. The nickname, it's called the Granite State. And it seems like they're very, very proud of the nickname Granite State because in almost every like website or reference I looked up about New Hampshire, they referenced it as the Granite State about a hundred times. So it is definitely known as the Granite State. The state song is Old New Hampshire, and the population is about 1.4 million. Now, it's not very big geographically. It's only about 9,300 square miles, um, and it's right in the very northeast of the United States. So it's bordered on the north by Quebec, Canada, and then it's bordered on the east by Maine, on the south by Massachusetts and on the west by Vermont. So it's wedged up right kind of next to Maine and right next to Canada. So very like as north as you can go. The highest point is found on Mount Washington, which is in the boundary of New Hampshire. That is at its highest point, 6,288 feet high. And then it's only 190 miles long by about 70 miles wide. So you can get across the entire state very quickly, especially it depends on where you're driving from. So when we went from Massachusetts up to Maine, we had to cross into New Hampshire, but only a tiny bit of New Hampshire is actually on the coast. So we were only in New Hampshire for just a very, very short amount of time. Uh, and then most of it is not on the coast. It's just like a little bit of the southeast corner that's actually on the coastline. So the climate there, I'll go over the climate before the history. So climate, it gets 46 inches of rain. The U.S. average is 38, so slightly more rainy than average. 
The snow is where it really gets above average. There's 68 inches of snow compared to the U.S. average of 28 inches. There's 198 sunny days with a U.S. average of 205, so just about average amount of sunny days, but just a slight bit less. Um, it's precipit like they get 133 days a year of some precipitation, whether it be snow or rain. Then we get to the comfort index, which is just basically they weigh all of these factors like cold, hot, humidity, just how comfortable you are in the state of New Hampshire. The comfort index average is a 6.4 in New Hampshire, and then the U.S. average as a total is 7. So it's slightly less than average in comfort level. And that is because the winter low, the average winter low, is 9 degrees. So it gets extremely cold there, and you might have guessed that with the 68 inches of snow. So if you don't like winter, it's definitely, New Hampshire is probably not your place. Now, the summer high is only 80 degrees, so pretty reasonable. And they say that August, June, and July are the most pleasant months. In order, it's August is the most pleasant month, and then July, and then June. And then January and February are the least comfortable months because it's in the dead of winter and you're getting a lot of snow and very, very cold temperatures at that time. So if you like the winter, then maybe that's a good spot. But if you do not, I would not recommend <laughs> moving to New Hampshire. Okay, let's get into a little bit of the timeline of the history of the state. So the real history, like with, you know, English explorers or settlers, starts in 1602. As we mentioned, for all these states, there were Native Americans living there at the time. And so we've all kind of dealt with, like, all of this is pretty much in the same region. All these states that we've, you know, researched so far, they're all on this East Coast. So if you listen back to the other podcast episodes, I go a little bit more into detail about the different groups and tribes of Native Americans that were living there currently. But as a in terms of new settlers from England or Europe, that history starts in 1602. So in 1602, Bartholomew Gosnold explored uh, for the English merchants on the coast of New England from southern Maine to Buzzards Bay. So he was exploring that whole kind of coastline. And this is similar to what we've seen with other states where it's not just all of a sudden you know, settlers arrive and they just have never seen it before and they just get off and settle. Maybe the settlers themselves haven't seen it before, but there have been explorers who have explored and kind of charted out the coastlines and kind of scouted out where a settlement could go or what trade could be established there or things like that. So that started for New Hampshire and that whole area of the southern or of the eastern coast uh, in 1602. Then in 1603, Martin Pring, he was on a trading expedition. He followed the same course as Gosnold did a year before, but he entered a few waterways that Gosnold had not uh, gotten into. Gosnold had overshot them, and so this second expedition by Martin Pring allowed them to go explore these waterways, um, which were the Massachusetts Bay and the Cape Cod Bay. That's when those were explored. Okay, between 1614 and 1616, Captain John Smith, who was at Jamestown, those were the first two years at Jamestown for him, and he spent those two years really exploring a lot of the coasts and waterways and bays and inlets of the neighboring area, and 
Um, that included the North or the New Hampshire coastline. So he did a lot of the exploring of that coastline at first. In 1622, King James I granted a few different regions to different groups of people. So for example, the region between Salem and the Merrimack Rivers, uh, those were given, or that land was given to John Mason and Sir Ferdinando Jorge, I think is how you pronounce it. And then he also granted the region between the Merrimack and the Kennebec Rivers under the name of the province of Maine. So that was given to David Thompson and his associates. Okay, in 1623, Dover was the first uh, permanent settlement and or in New Hampshire, and that was founded. Again, that was in 1623. And then in 1629, this is um, seven years after the initial region dividing by King James I, John Mason alone receives a grant of the pro of a portion of the province of Maine, and the portion was whatever lay between the Merrimack and the Piscataqua River. And that little area, which again was only given to John Mason, was what like went under the name of New Hampshire. So that's where New Hampshire was really kind of founded or first given the name of New Hampshire. However, in 1641, the Massachusetts colony, which was right next door, gained control of New Hampshire. And then in 1642, the first school act of Massachusetts um, was passed and that included New Hampshire because the Massachusetts colony gained control of New Hampshire. It says parents and masters were required to teach children reading, citizenship, and religion. So uh, that is passed first in 1642. The first record of slaves in Portsmouth or Portsmouth uh, happened in 1645. And then in 1653, Strawberry Bank petitioned the Massachusetts General Court for, for permission to change its name to Portsmouth. Okay, in 1679, England forms New Hampshire as a separate royal colony. So it's now not under Massachusetts. It's its own place. And, you know, I would have guessed that New Hampshire was its own colony right from the very beginning. But no, it took about 50 years from the first grants uh, of the New Hampshire region to 1679 when they actually became their own separate colony. Okay, in 1680, New Hampshire enacts its own first school law, which required schools in all towns of 50 households or more. So very much in this area, we've seen uh, an emphasis on education and that definitely carries over with the New Hampshire history where they say, yep, if there's more than 50 families in this area, you have to have a school there and then you have to learn these certain things like reading, citizenship, and religion. Okay, 1717, so we're jumping ahead a little bit. John Wentworth becomes a lieutenant governor of New Hampshire. In 1719, the first potato is planted in the U.S. and that is planted at the Londonderry Common Field in New Hampshire. In 1722, the Royal Charter for Nottingham is granted by King George. 
And then in 1730, William Whipple, who is a merchant and a judge, was born. And he ended up signing the Declaration of Independence as, you know, a New Hampshire right. <laughs> so he was born in 1730. In 17, 1734, the Great Awakening sweeps through New Hampshire. And I have the Great Awakening on my podcast list because very interesting time in history that I want to get more into, but just know that that started in 1734. Okay, and then we're skipping ahead about 20 years, but the New Hampshire Gazette is formed in 1756, and they said it was at one time the oldest newspaper of continuous publication in the United States. Now, the more I research all these states, <laughs> the more I realize that like multiple states sometimes claim the same thing. I'm pretty sure the oldest continuous newspaper is not the New Hampshire Gazette because it says it was at one time called the oldest newspaper of continuous publication, but I'm pretty sure we just learned that that was in Boston. So take that one with a grain of salt, but that was in this timeline that I found. 1765 is when the Stamp Act of King George III goes into effect, which caused, you know, some chaos where people are realizing they do not like taxation without representation. And so we're kind of getting the uh, start of revolution talk here in 1765. Okay, in 1767, this was an interesting one on the timeline. It says the first summer resort in America the summer home of Royal Governor John Wentworth at Wolfaboro, New Hampshire is created. So we're starting to vacation <laughs> and the first summer resort is made. 1769 was the founding of Dartmouth College. So very, very old college. Dartmouth seems like a great school, but I did not realize it was that old. So that's very interesting. 1774... Uh, New Hampshire becomes the first state to declare itself independent from England. And then patriots from the local area raided Fort William and Mary and stole the gunpowder stored there. This is known as the powder raid later, but this is really getting to the start of the Revolutionary War. And that is a fun fact. New Hampshire is the first state to declare itself independent. So it kind of led the way in... Uh, independence. 1775, British troops fire on the revolutionaries at Lexington, Massachusetts. So that's like uh, one of the first kind of battles um, of the war. And then, of course, 1776, the declaration is read on July 18th on the State House's Western Steps. The first independent government from England is established and the state adopts a revolutionary constitution. Okay, 1778, New Hampshire becomes the first state to hold a constitutional convention. So again, leading the way in a lot of this revolutionary action. 1783, New Hampshire was the first state to require that its constitution be referred to the people for approval. So not only did they lead the way in the actual gaining of independence, but they also led the way in saying we're having, uh, you know, we need this to be ruled by the people, for the people, all of that. 
And then in 1788, five years later, New Hampshire became the ninth state to join the Union. The Constitution is ratified by New, ha uh, by New Hampshire at a convention in Exeter. 1789, on October 30th, George Washington addresses a crowd in Portsmouth, Portsmouth, I don't, I need to look up how to pronounce that, but uh, George Washington did make a big address there in 1789. Uh, the, well, okay, so in 1795, the Amos Fortune founds the Jaffrey Social Library in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. So like big kind of social things happening there in New Hampshire. Uh, 1796, it says, Public sentiment in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, prevents the return of a fugitive slave to President Washington. So, they are pretty on the forefront of the fight against uh, slavery from the very beginning. Okay, in 1808, the state capital is established in Concord, and again, that, that stayed the whole time so that is still the capital a lot of times we see a capital move but I guess in such a small area it didn't move it's just always been conquered since 1808 okay in 1809 Fort Constitution there was an explosion at Fort Constitution during an Independence Day celebration and it badly damaged the captain's house and killed 14 people in 1809 so that was not good. Um, 1812, the Portsmouth's foreign trade is destroyed as a result of the embargo enacted during the War of 1812. And then in 1813, there was a devastating fire in that same city, and it was the third devastating fire that they had. Um, so again, this is kind of a theme that we've seen in a lot of these older cities and towns these fires could really destroy like huge areas of the city. In 1819, Religious Toleration Act was passed and that what that did is it prohibited taxation for any church purposes. So you cannot be taxed if you were doing something for a church purpose. Um, the first US public library is founded in Peter Peterborough New Hampshire in 1833 again I feel like there's been multiple claims of the first public library but maybe this actually was the first and the other ones were just the first library in the state so this one specifically says the first US public library is founded so that was in 1833 okay 1835 it says 28 white students and 14 black students commence classes at the newly established Noise Academy in Canaan, New Hampshire. So already, I mean, again, very on the forefront of like race relations. Um, okay, and then it says white residents of Canaan, New Hampshire, with the help of residents of neighboring towns and nearly 100 yoke of oxen, forcibly remove Noise Academy from its foundation. So I guess that was in protest of it because they were so progressive in letting 28 white students and 14 black students take classes like together that was such a crazy idea at that time that there was this big protest where they removed the academy from its foundation so um pretty crazy stuff 
1853, Franklin Pierce becomes the 14th U.S. president, and he is from New Hampshire. The New Hampshire State Teachers Association was created in 1854. And then the USS Franklin, which was actually the largest wooden ship to be built at the Navy Yard in Portland, is finished. That is in 1864. The first mountain climbing cog railroad is established or is built in 1869. So I have done a podcast episode about the history of Pikes Peak and the whole trip up the mountain. That is a cog railroad that goes up that mountain. So the first one uh, in the U.S. went up Mount Washington, which is in New Hampshire. So those are like the two, I think those are the two big ones in America. There's like a huge one in Switzerland, which has crazy inclines. But whenever you go up the Pikes Peak Railroad, they always reference the Mount Washington Cog Railroad as the first mountain climbing Cog Railroad. Okay, the first female students at the University of New Hampshire are admitted in 1890. I will link this whole timeline below because I get it from um, ereference.com, which is where I get a lot of these. And so I will link this all below, but shout out to ereference.com for this. In 1909, the first credit association in the nation is chartered, which is St. Mary's Bank Credit Union. So that has a pretty early start, uh, 1909. In 1913, the general court passed an act which basically stipulated that the election of delegates to the National Convention had to be done by a direct vote of the people. And that that election would happen the third Tuesday in May. So that whole system got established in 1913. And then two years later, that primary day that was the third Tuesday in May was actually moved to the second Tuesday in March because there were so many people that lived in the rural areas surrounding the city that wouldn't or that they, they couldn't come to vote because that's when they were, would be plowing the fields in April and May. And so it would be much easier for them to be able to get to town in March when they weren't plowing. So that's why the actual primary voting day was moved to March instead of May. Because they realized, hey, no one from the rural areas are coming in in May. Uh, they did that for two years and they realized it's not working. So they moved it to March to coincide with their plowing season. Oh, I guess I misspoke there. They didn't realize that it was the, that no one was coming because the first one was actually held the year later, uh, in 1916. The idea was established in 1913. In 1915, they, they moved it to March. And then in 1916, it actually went into effect and New Hampshire held its first primary. It says, at this point, they were not voting directly for the candidates, but for the delegates to the National Convention. The primary took place one week after Indiana's and on the same day as Minnesota's, and to register, the candidate needed 100 signatures and $10 to, to run to be a delegate to the National Convention. In 1920, it says Minnesota dropped its primary and Indiana changed its primary to May. New Hampshire then 
uh, it said, became the first in the nation to have its primary. In 1923, the University of New Hampshire was established, and then the first African-American woman to graduate from the University of New Hampshire was just three years later, actually, so pretty way quicker than I thought. But three years after the university was established, Elizabeth Virgil graduated from the university. Um... In 1939, on May 24th, was the USS Squalus, uh, which was also known as SS-192. It was a submarine, and it's called the um, USS Squalus submarine disaster. That occurred in 1939. In 1945, so then the war happens from 1941 to 1945, and in 1945, the World War II German U-boats surrender in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So that was like a big event that happened right in New Hampshire, the end of World War II. 1952, New Hampshire held the first in the nation presidential primary. In 1963, they, let's see, it says, adopted the first legal lottery in the 20th century United States, the nation's first since 1894. Uh, and then in 1966, the Conservation Law Foundation was established. So again, a big focus on like conserving the nature. We've seen that a lot too, like in these state symbols. A lot of the state symbols were chosen because of conservation efforts or because like highlighting this certain uh, animal would help bring awareness to the fact that it's endangered and things like that. So this whole area has a a long track record of conservation and then in 1997 Portsmouth is Portsmouth is chosen by money magazine as the fifth best place in the nation to live so even though the comfort index is kind of low <laughs> um, it is a very good place to live I think that's based on like crime rates and weather and you know the jobs you can get there and stuff like that so very very good place to live that was in 1997 so that is the history of New Hampshire. Let's talk a little bit about the famous people who are from New Hampshire. Now it's a small state, so I, did, I didn't find, I mean, there's definitely a lot of famous people from New Hampshire, but the list is a little bit smaller than let's say Boston. Like so many of the historical uh, big players in the United States were from like Boston or Philadelphia. This is a little bit smaller because it's a smaller state, but here are some famous people from New Hampshire. One is Mandy Moore. Now she was just on Dak Shepard's podcast this week, and she also played the mean cheerleader in Princess Diaries. <laughs> so like in the first one. So I like Mandy Moore a lot just because of that, but she's from New Hampshire. Sarah Silverman is from New Hampshire. The astronaut Alan Shepard is from there. Franklin Pierce, like I mentioned, who was the 14th president. Bodie Miller is from New Hampshire and he is a Olympic skier. So he has represented the US many times at the Olympics. And then H.H. Holmes, which who he was a serial killer, I believe. He is also from New Hampshire, so had to throw that one on the list, even though he is kind of a negative, like he's a ding against the state, but the other ones are all very good. 
All right, let's go over state symbols. So the state animal is a white-tailed deer, like many states. That was adopted in 1983. The state beverage is apple cider. That was adopted in 2010. And you may have noticed a common theme that milk is a drink, is like most states' state drink. That's because a lot of these more rural states or people with agriculture as a strong historical background or states, I should say, instead of people, uh, a lot of those choose milk because they have a lot of cows and that's a natural choice. However, New Hampshire uh, actually, they were going to choose milk. There was a big debate if it should be milk or apple cider, but there were some kind of school-aged kids that argued that if New Hampshire chose apple cider as its drink, it would be the first state to choose apple cider as its beverage, as a state beverage. And in addition to that, the inventor of the apple peeler, his name was David Goodell, he was the former New Hampshire governor. And so apple cider kind of went with their state history even more than milk. So that's the story behind their state beverage. The state bird is the purple finch. Um, so this is kind of an interesting one too. Like in 1957, it was adopted as the purple finch because it was backed by a ton of organizations in the state, like a bunch of gardening organizations, a bunch of nature organizations backed the purple finch. There was one congresswoman or state representative, I should say, that really, really wanted it to be the New Hampshire hen. And eight years before the purple finch was adopted, she had pitched the state bird to be the New Hampshire hen. And for some reason, like no one wanted the New Hampshire hen to be the state bird. So eight years later, she pitched it again. She said it really should be the state bird. And people did not want the New Hampshire hen to be the state bird. And so once the purple finch was suggested and backed by these other organizations, they jumped on it, voted, and it was adopted in 1957. So I feel bad for the lady that really wanted it to be the state hen because she tried. She tried for many years to get it to be the state bird, but she just could not. The state dog is the Chinook, I believe is how you say it. It was adopted in 2009. It is a sled and working dog, and it's the only breed to have originated in New Hampshire. It's one of only a few breeds that were actually created in America, but the breed of the Chinook was started by Arthur Walden, in New Hampshire in 1917 and it was bred to combine the power of the freighting breed so like you're it's like a freight train I guess um, with the speed of lighter racing sled dogs so it was kind of the best of both worlds between power and speed the flower is the purple lilac that was adopted in 1919 it was actually first imported from England and planted at the Portsmouth home of Governor uh, Benning, uh, of Governor Benning Wentworth in 1750. And their quote is, it is symbolic of that hardy character of the men and women of the Granite State. So again, Granite State is always referenced instead of just saying New Hampshire. Freshwater fish is the brook trout, which is the by far the most popular state fish that was adopted in 1994. The fruit is uh, pumpkin, adopted in 2006. 
It is an $8 million crop in the state, and that was proposed by third and fourth graders, as a lot of these are. The gem, the state gem, is the smoky quartz. It's found in many types of rock, including granite, which is why it is the state gem. And the White Mountain National Forest includes a famous smoky quartz site. So that was adopted in 18, or 1985. The state insect is the ladybug that was adopted in 1977. It says the 1977 legislator voted the ladybug as New Hampshire's official state insect in a history-making manner. The House of Representatives reversed an adverse committee recommendation on a ladybug bill with a 185 to 135 standing endorsement. And then the Senate gave the measure such enthusiastic approval that all 24 members signed a copy of the bill, which was framed and presented to the Broken Ground Grammar School of Concord, whose pupils sponsored the idea. So lots of support, I guess, for the ladybug bill. The state sport is skiing because of the mountains like Mount Washington state, uh, the state sport is skiing. They have some bigger mountains and then some they call family sized mountains. So, uh, the tree is the white birch. And then the official like single state tree was labeled the queen of the woods, which was a white birch in 1947. And then the final one is the state wildflower. It's called the pink lady's slipper. Um, it's also called well, I guess it has, oh yeah, it's also called the moccasin flower. So it looks like a pink slipper. It was adopted in 1991 and it's traditionally used as a remedy for nervousness, tooth pain, and muscle spasms. It's very, very hard to grow. So, but it can be found in New Hampshire and that is why it's the state wildflower. Okay, and the last thing I wanna go over is some attractions that you can see at or in New Hampshire. We've mentioned a few of them already. One of them is Mount Washington, which is the highest peak in the Northeast, and it's part of the White Mountains range. The Strawberry Bank Museum, which we kind of mentioned in the history, but the Strawberry Bank Museum is a 10-acre campus dedicated to bring history to life, from indigenous history to the present day in the Puddle Dock neighborhood. Tour historic houses on their original foundations, meet engaging costumed role players, watch traditional craft demonstration, and explore historical gardens and landscapes. I like how there's a lot of these attractions in the Northeast that are like historical reenactments of living at a different time in history. So that is one of those. There's also this thing called Clark's Bears, which is this, I believe it's a train that you take to this little area and the whole attraction is like there's some rides it's kind of like a fair sort of vibe and they have trained bears that you can see i put this one on the list because it was on a few different attraction lists not to be like a hippy dippy lady or anything but i don't really like the idea of trained wild animals like just let them roam i don't know gives me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies a little so i don't know if i recommend that one but it's apparently on the list. There's also Flume Gorge, which is an 800 foot gorge that extends from the base of Mount Liberty. And the water has been cutting into this granite and like eroding the granite in this very cool way. And it's very, very pretty. The pictures look amazing. And then the last one I put on here is Prescott Park. 
I don't think there's any really historical significance. I could be wrong, but the pictures of the flowers look amazing. If you go in the spring when the flowers are blooming, there's just so many flowers and it looks super beautiful. So definitely go there. And overall, the gist of the attractions lists that I got was that yes, there's some historical ones, but most of it is lots of nature. If you like nature, you should go to New Hampshire because there's a little bit of everything it seems like and just beautiful scenery. And that's kind of what I picked up on when I drove through New Hampshire. The coastline was amazing. The, you know, the land was amazing driving through. So definitely recommend going there. I wish I kind of spent more time there, but um, I do look forward to going back. So lots of nature all throughout New Hampshire, even though it's a pretty small state. And that is all I have for the history of New Hampshire. Hopefully you learned a lot. Hopefully um, you have kind of <laughs> seen if you want to go there. I definitely want to go and go back. Uh, also, like their seafood is very good. We had lunch there and a lot of my family got seafood and it was very delicious because it's all fresh right from the coast. So highly recommend. Hope you learned a lot in this episode and I will see you on Monday for a new podcast episode. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye.